Some of the most difficult times in our lives are when we go through times of trials or carry a deep burden. And it is those times that are especially difficult when we do not feel the presence of God in our lives. We naturally ask the question, where is God when we need him the most? It is in those times that one characteristic of God should be remembered. And it is the characteristic of his omnipresence. It is a characteristic we often do not talk about his omnipresence, but it is the characteristic that most ably complements one who feels very lost. This characteristic says that God is everywhere present at all times. God is everywhere present at all times. He is at the same time here in Manila as he is in New York. He is in our homes at the very same time. He is also in our place of work. He is with us in the waiting room of the hospital as he is inside the operating room. He is everywhere present at all time. I want you to let that truth sink into your minds for a moment. I want you to think about the wonderful implications of the truth that God is with you, very present, wherever you are. There was a period in my life when I was trying to find myself. Simply put, I was running away from God's call in my life. And trying to outrun God, I on a whim, had an idea to fly to the interior of Alaska, about 300 miles north of Anchorage. And I drove myself there, literally to the middle of nowhere, trying to find myself, but in actuality, running away from God. I remembered having this thought as I was there in the middle of nowhere. If I had an accident and I died, literally no one would know where to find my body. No one would know where I was because I didn't tell anyone where I went. But I remember that day thinking about this question, that late in the evening I came out of my tent in pitch darkness as I looked up into the sky, not polluted by light, that I saw the expanse of heaven, millions of stars that could not be counted. And it was there that I saw, I saw the ethereal and the spectacular northern lights and realized at that moment that God was very present here in the interior wilderness of Alaska, that I could not outrun his presence. He is everywhere. His handprint of companionship is evident in our lives every day, if only we can look through the lenses that heaven wants us to look through. Many of us want proof that God is present today. And we want to see that this morning as we take a look at God's handprint of companionship. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 9 to 18. We're going to be concluding our sermon series entitled, Alone But Not Alone, Learning to See the Handprints of God. 1 Kings, chapter 19, verse 9 to 18. How do we see God's handprint of companionship? The last time we left Elijah, 
He was very much in a pit of despair. He had just come down from witnessing the power of God's greatness on top of Mount Carmel, only to learn that there was a death warrant on his head as commanded by evil Queen Jezebel. And so he ran away. Enabled by God, he ran to Mount Sinai. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 9 of 1 Kings chapter 19. And there Elijah went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? God begins with a question that allows Elijah to pour out what is on his heart. Of course God knows why Elijah is there. Of course God knows the situation that has brought him there. But God is giving Elijah an opportunity, an opening to complain to him, to pour out his heart. And it is what God allows us to do when he calls us to pray. Of course he knows our needs. Of course he knows the circumstances in which we are in. And yet God opens up the opportunity for us to share with him our most intimate of feelings and even our frustrations and our complaining, and he calls it prayer. This is how wonderful the God we serve is who invites us to fellowship with him in such an intimate manner. He never turns us away. And Elijah responds to God's question in verse 10. He says this, So Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have spoken, excuse me, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Elijah pours out his heart to God, his frustrations, his anger, his frailties. He basically tells God, you've left me alone, God. He's accusing God of abandoning him. He tells God, I have stood my ground while everyone else has fallen away. And notice the end of verse 10, that phrase, I alone am left. I'm all alone. You see, Elijah's problem is the problem of loneliness. He feels alone. The problem of loneliness It's a problem we all encounter at some point in our lives. Perhaps some of you are going through it this morning. Simply feeling alone. Lonely, even in a group of people. And your heart cries out in this depth of loneliness, where is God when we need to feel his presence most real? Well, God's going to remind Elijah that he has always been there for him. He has never once been left alone. If only Elijah can see the handprint of God's companionship. And it is clearly evident in at least two ways. Let's see what they are. Verse 11. And God said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. God says, Elijah, come out, come out. Come out of the cave and stand on the top of Sinai. There I will meet you. 
Now, how will God reveal himself to Elijah? How would God speak to Elijah? Now, I bet you Elijah was very excited. That's why he came out of the cave. Perhaps Elijah was expecting another Mount Carmel-like experience where God will show himself in a powerful way. If you remember what happened on the top of Mount Carmel, where a fire from heaven obliterated that water-soaked altar. Perhaps Elijah must have been thinking, maybe God will strike Jezebel dead. Maybe God will take away all of my enemies. What awe-inspiring event will God show himself that he is real in my life and that he is present today? Look what happens in the second part of verse 11 to 12. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 11. The Lord passed by. God was there. God had always been there. It was he who sent a wind so strong that it shattered the rocks and shook Mount Sinai. It was the Lord who was there who sent that earthquake and that fire. But in these three amazing display of God's supernatural work, notice what the Bible says. The Lord was not in them. This does not mean this was a natural occurrence. This only means that God did not speak to Elijah through these displays of his greatness. You see, in Israel's history, God had shown himself omnipresent to his people using wind, using an earthquake, using fire. God had shown himself very present in the lives of the people of Israel, and perhaps Elijah thought that is what God would do. You remember the book of Exodus chapter 19, when God spoke to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments on the very mountain that Elijah was on. The Bible tells us in that 19th chapter of Exodus that God shook the mountain. Why? He shook the mountain with weather phenomenons so that all the people who had gathered around Mount Sinai would know that God was there. And so in a very similar incident, the wind that shattered the rocks and shook the mountain should have reminded Elijah that God's presence was there. But he was discouraged because God did not speak to him through that mountain-moving wind. You remember from the book of Numbers, chapter 16, in Israel's history, when Dathan led a revolt against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. What happened? God used an earthquake. God allowed the land to open up and swallow up the enemies of God and his servants. And perhaps in that earthquake, Elijah would have thought, God, could you not use this earthquake to swallow up all of my enemies? But 
God was not in that earthquake using it to speak to Elijah. And so he was disappointed that God did not use an earthquake to show himself very present as he had done in Numbers chapter 16 to show his people then that God protects his servants. What about fire? Remember the what happened in Exodus chapter 3? When Moses was tending sheep in Midian, he saw a bush that was on fire. Why was that bush on fire? Because it was there that God told Moses, remove your sandals for the land you walk upon is holy ground. Why? Because the presence of God was there. That fire of God in that bush that didn't burn the bush reminded to Moses, reminded Moses that his presence was there. Or what about Exodus chapter 13 and 14? As the people of Israel came out of Egypt into the promised land, it was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Again, what was the purpose of that fire? To remind the people that God's omnipresent protection was with them. And perhaps when he saw the fire, perhaps Elijah thought, this is how God will show himself very real and present in my life. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the fire. And so he was disappointed. God had used these in the past to show his omnipresence. But God didn't choose these events as a vehicle to speak to Elijah. Because he was going to show Elijah that he shows his presence and companionship in other ways other than the extraordinary. And that's where we get our first principle, number one, if you're taking notes. God's handprint of companionship is in his presence revealed in ordinary and extraordinary ways. God's handprint of companionship is in his presence revealed ordinarily or extraordinarily. Too often we look only at God's extraordinary work. We look for God's presence and the reality of his presence in our lives in only the big things. An amazing miracle. Ah, God was at work. Stories of the miraculous. Yes, God was working and very present. Quick answers to prayers. Yes, that is a God who was present. But if those things don't happen, then we quickly get very disappointed when God doesn't use those quick and amazing means to reveal who he really is. In a culture that is used to a very instant microwave result type of action, when that situation, when our problems are not resolved in five to ten minutes, because that's how they're presented in the video clips, problem, solution within five to ten minutes. And we expect God to work in the very same manner because that is how God should evidence his presence in our lives. And this waiting is just taking way too long. And so in this case, he does not reveal himself and speak to Elijah and the wind and the earthquake and the fire. And so Elijah is so disappointed that he returns back into the cave in a state of spiritual depression. 
But then look what happens in verse 12 and 13. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Perhaps in the cave he felt even more alone. The anticipation of God doing some, something spectacular was gone. The excitement of God sending the wind, the earthquake, and the fire were no longer there. There was no longer anything for Elijah to look forward to, he thought. Nothing to anticipate more how God would work. No expectation for how God should speak to him. And so in the cave, he became very quiet with nothing to do. And it was in that time of quiet that the Bible tells us he heard a still small voice. God had always been talking to him, but Elijah had not been listening. And Elijah immediately knew the sound of this gentle whisper was God's voice. And so he came out, pulled over his cloak, over his face as a sign of respect and humility, and came out of the cave. And God spoke to him. Many people want to hear God's voice. They want to feel his presence every day. They want to recognize his handwork of companionship. They want to feel him. But the problem is they suffer from noise pollution. All day, our ears are filled with music, talking, radio, television, the internet. That we've never quieted down ourselves to hear God's gentle whispers. Or perhaps we're only anticipating that God will show up in our lives in amazing, extraordinary ways that we disregard other ways that God can speak. And yet God is always there telling us, Hey, I'm here. Can you hear me? When we do not quiet ourselves in the presence of God, then we cannot recognize his omnipresence in our life. As I was looking through my life on a weekly, in a weekly manner, when does God speak most clear in my life? It's funny to think about, but God speaks most clearly in my life in two occasions. When the internet goes down and when I'm driving alone stuck in traffic. Imagine that. When the internet goes down... And when we're stuck in traffic, it's when God most clearly speaks to me. Those are the two things that most annoy us, I know. And yet, when there's nothing to do, where I'm forced to listen, and I'm forced to quiet myself, that I often hear God speak very clearly. I want to encourage many of us this morning to take out 10 to 15 minutes every day just to sit there and, and experience his presence. Asking God to speak to you away from the phone's reach where you can't even hear it ring or vibrate. Where you're not looking at it. it, it it's in another room. 
I think you're going to find those 10 to 15 minutes a day, at least once a week if you must, you'll hear God's voice very clearly. Yes, at first, your mind begins to wonder. You're thinking about other things. But if you can focus on God and invite Him to speak to you through His Word, through prayer, you'll find that He speaks very clearly. When I was struggling with God's call into the pastorate, I was very frustrated that God would not give me an answer. For two and a half years, I wondered why God would not make clear His call in my life. The problem was, as I look back at it, was because I was busy in my corporate job running around and flying around the U.S. But yet I was so frustrated that God would not make His will known to me. I had promptings that He wanted me to become a pastor, and I got angry at God and said, God, I'm going to give my life to full-time ministry and to the pastorate, and yet you won't even affirm this call. But the reason was because God didn't have my full attention. Because when he wants to speak to us, he wants our full attention. It's like my wife. My wife talks a lot, as many of your wives do. But I'm often doing other things when she's talking. I I hear her voice. I don't comprehend anything she's saying. But I'll know when she wants me to know something. Because oftentimes what she'll do is she'll get her two hands and put it on my face. And pull it to hers, and she'll tell me, look at me. Listen carefully. And that's when I know she's serious. And that's when I know she wants me to hear out and remember what she's going to say. Otherwise, it's just part of the noise in the background of my life. Similarly, that's what God wants to do. He's not going to force it upon you. He wants you to come And look him straight and focus attention to him. And so it was in the quietness of the Colorado mountains with no outside distraction, no cell phone signal, no computers, nothing that would take away my focus away from God, that God spoke very clearly to me. He'd always been speaking. I just wasn't listening. If you quiet down yourself and humble your hearts, God can speak to you and encourage you. And he will remind you very clearly that you are not alone in this journey we call life. Because the handprint of God's companionship is seen in his speaking to us, both in the ordinary and the extraordinary. From the gentle whisper of the prompting of the Holy Spirit to the stars in the sky, to the thunderclaps and the rain. I know it's rainy season. Almost every afternoon, the rain moves in. Loud thunder. What's your reaction when you experience that? I think for most people, their reaction is going to be, wow, this is going to cause a lot of traffic. Perhaps step back for a moment, and when you experience the loud thunder clap, or when you see the torrential rain coming down for that moment can you say lord i i see your handprint at work you are here nothing proclaims god's presence in our life very more evidently than nature 
I love this poem by Brent Earls. He writes these words. The stars are God's fingerprints. The sun is a mere smidgen of his radiance. The moon is to remind us that he doesn't sleep at night. The vastness of space proclaims the infinity of his wisdom, while the sand pebbles indicate his thoroughness with the puniest details. The lion hints at his fearlessness, the bear at his power. The hawk hints at his keen insight. And yet those possess only a tidbit of God's omnipotence and omnipresence. Every tree points towards heaven. Every bird has a song to sing. Even every moment of wind goes in some direction. There is nothing chaotic about our beautifully designed world. All creation has a message to tell. It says, listen, there is a God and he is here. Can you see his handprint of companionship speaking to you boldly every day in both the ordinary and the extraordinary? In the ordinary, quiet times that you have, in the things you see every day, and even in the extraordinary. I know it's hard many times when you can't see God when you look at the chaos of this world and you wonder what in the world is happening. But if you look closer, you will see that God evidences his omnipresence. I remember the story of what happened in Fort Worth, Texas in 1999. It was in September of 1999 that a gunman opened fire during a youth program in Wedgwood Baptist Church and set off a pipe bomb, killing seven people. In the bloody aftermath of this terrible tragedy, the pastor of Wedgwood Baptist Church, Dr. Al Meredith, remembers how he struggled with how to comfort his congregation and how he could find God in such a tragedy. Reverend Meredith cried out to God, Lord, show me that you are here. Show me that you have not abandoned us. Show me that your presence is still here. One day as he was walking down the aisle surveying his church, he noticed that there was a hymnal sticking out, and he went to it to straighten it out. And there as he went to the hymnal, he saw that there was a bullet in it that the FBI forensics team had missed. The bullet was stuck in page 38 of the church hymnal. Page 38 was the hallelujah chorus. And he noticed that the bullet stopped at page 38 and pointed but did not penetrate the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. And it was in that moment that Reverend Al Meredith knew that God's presence was here, even in the midst of tragedy. Do you see it? 
Do you see his handprint of companionship that he walks alongside with you every day? He's never left you. He's never abandoned you. It's we often who have forgotten that he works not only in the extraordinary, but that he works in the ordinary. Every day, he declares his presence to us. Do we see it? Verse 14. And Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When Elijah hears the question of God in that gentle, sweet voice, Elijah again in verse 14 pours out the reason of his struggles. He is lonely. And you know what the first thing God asks Elijah to do is? Verse 15, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Elijah must have been shocked. Are you kidding me, Lord? I've just poured out to you that I am alone. I'm lonely. And the first thing you tell me to do is to go back the way you came. You are telling me to go back up north to the wilderness of Damascus, to the very area where King Ahab and Queen Jezebel have hundreds of soldiers looking to kill me. God, what are you trying to do? You see, God wanted to show Elijah something. That in a time where he felt all alone, God had not left him alone. And how does God evidence that? Look at verse 15, the first 17. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shapheth, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. God tells Elijah, go back north. And there I want you to anoint three people who will help you in your quest to purge the land of the prophets of Baal and to make the Israelites realize their wicked and sinful ways to turn once again back to the Lord. And what a motley crew God chose for him. King of Syria, Jehu and Elisha. Different peoples of all stripes. And we had time we would study their lives. But God says, you're not alone because I've appointed others to help you. Many times we feel alone because we are left alone, we think, to do the work. We're left holding the bag. God is saying, you need to realize that there are others God can and is using to do the work. You see, God doesn't depend on one person. His work and his plans are bigger than one person. God uses others to do his work. So don't put undue pressure on yourself. God uses more than you. 
And that's what God wanted Elijah to realize to show that he is everywhere at all times. He wants to show them, number two, that his handprint of companionship is in his calling and using of other people. Imagine that. That God shows his presence real by using others to come alongside you, to walk and to journey with you. We've forgotten that in our isolationist culture. We've forgotten that God has given us the church, the body of Christ, this group of believers who have been given different gifts and talents to do the work of God's singular agenda. God's companionship, His omnipresence is evidenced in His calling and using of others to walk alongside of us. That's why Jesus proclaims in Matthew 25, verse 40, If you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. Hebrews 13, verse 2, When you serve others, you serve angels unaware. Perhaps God is calling you to serve as His handprint in the lives of others who need it, to remind them that He is very present in their life. Perhaps God is sending you men and women so that he can show his handiwork of compassion and companionship in your life. Oh, and by the way, Elijah, don't forget verse 18. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God tells Elijah, it's not only you. It's not only these three who will help you. There are 7,000 who have not worshipped Baal, who have not kissed him. You see, I think in the mind of Elijah, at, at most, there may be 100. Remember why 100? A few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Obadiah had hidden 100 prophets in two caves. So in the mind of Elijah, maybe at the most, a hundred people that are on God's team in this land. God blew him away. God said, Elijah, I have reserved, I have kept, I have protected 7,000. Oh, that news must have undoubtedly cheered Elijah up. They were to him an evidence of God's omnipresent work of companionship to walk alongside him, as I'm sure he was to them. God uses others to show his very present presence in times of tragedies and in times of loneliness. Just this week, if you've been watching the news, uh, some of you may know about the deadly shootings in Dallas. I know you may not be able to relate, uh, but it impacted me uh, because it is a city I grew up. I think a correlation perhaps may be uh, when you read about the shock of those 44 policemen who were killed here in our country. But as the entire city of Dallas is in shock about what happened, I read a lot of social postings 
about men and women who were questioning where God was in all of this. How communities who have long hated each other, how in the world could they unite? And I came across something that happened uh, as my friend shares it. Husband and wife, uh, the wife shared this post. She wrote these words. Sometimes the most holy response is just to weep. These were the words spoken by my husband with tears streaming down his face. My husband wept for our city. The wife writes, I too wept for our city. We said in disbelief at the events that transpired overnight, at the overwhelming loss of precious lives in our police force and the deeply rooted, long-standing disunity among the various races of our community. Then suddenly, as we were there watching the news, my husband heard the city trash recycle truck come rolling down our street. To my surprise, my husband bolted out the door to meet the trash truck and to meet the driver. And there, as I caught up, I looked out and I saw that my husband and the trash truck driver were embracing one another with tears in their eyes. John, an Asian, Mr. Robert, the kindest black man you'll ever meet. No words needed to be said. Solidarity speaks loud enough. That hug was all that was needed. In that poignant moment, I saw in that embrace, the embrace of God. From John to Robert, and from Robert to John. And to say to each one of them, I'm in this place. I am very present. I have not forgotten you. We've often forgotten God has called the church to evidence his work and presence in this world. We've forgotten that. And that's why we don't go out to the community. And that's why we don't reach out. But God's handprint of companionship is seen in others when they come alongside you and give you that hug and drop those words of encouragement. And for others, it's you. And so I go back to my mother this evening, not to go and preach to her a sermon, not to go to read Bible verses to her, definitely not to provide medical advice, but I go simply to give her a hug. And by doing so, I hope that I can evidence God's handprint of companionship in her life, that she will recognize that she does not walk alone, that God walks with her. And that is the role you serve the Lord in your own families and in your own circle of friends and in your community. God is always near his people because he uses people to evidence his nearness. That's why a favorite phrase is promised throughout the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, 
Moses reminds the people, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In the Gospels, Jesus promises in Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you always. At the end of the scriptures in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And God can say those words with confidence as a promise because of his character. He evidences that truth every day in our lives, if only we can see it. He does it in the ordinary. He does it in the extraordinary. And he does it through people like you and me. So go forth and show the world that God reigns supreme. Go out and show the world in your circles of influences, in your families, that God is very presently real in their life. Because he has extraordinarily shown it through us when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So that when he died for us, he could then live in us to the person of the Holy Spirit. And in that truth, he will never leave us nor forsake us. God is with us always, in all places, at all times. You, my friends, are never alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the promises of the scriptures. We thank you for the reminder of your character of omnipresence. To recognize that you are always with us, everywhere at all times, gives us joy. If only we can look through it, through the eyes you desire for us. Every day may we recognize your handprint of companionship, to the ordinary and extraordinary. And may we be a vehicle for how you use us to show this truth to others and to bring into our lives others who will show this truth to us so that we will mutually remind each other that you are very real and you walk with us and you talk with us and you remind us that we are not alone. And for this great truth, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.